Welcome to episode 112 of Crack the Customer Code. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash customer code. I'm Jeannie Walters, and I'm here with the tycoon of top service, my co-host, nice. Adam Taporek. Adam, how are you? I am great. I'm living the tycoon life, apparently. I like it. <laughs> I know. What do tycoons do on an average day, I wonder? Yeah. <laughs> Since my uh, title is uh, purely fictional, <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to sit, uh, sit with you and guess on that one. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to imagine they gas up their jet. That ah, nice. Some, that would be something. Well, you they would don't do. do that. They don't gas it up. Well, they have somebody who does. Right? That is absolutely a great point. If you're a tycoon, you are not out there like you know doing the manual pump, swiping the credit card, putting in your zip code, right? <laughs> no, I don't think so. I don't think so. I wonder if some of the tycoons were out when I was just in the Bahamas recently and saw some of the private yachts with staff of about twenty taking care of the boat while the tycoon or tycooness <laughs> were <laughs> were off enjoying some island you know food and Tyco- massages on the beach or something tycoon activities there you go yes yes some of those yachts are impressive <laughs> that's a one word for them <laughs> <laughs> they are yeah, i've seen a few uh when i've traveled and they are a sight to behold when you think mm-hmm. about what I mean. They, the cost is incredible. I mean, it's incredible. I saw some, one of those like lifestyle, whatever. There's like 74 new versions of lifestyle. The rich and mm-hmm. famous now is flipping channels, and it was all about like what uh, the uber wealthy do to defend themselves. Like oh. it was sort of like Walking Dead for like uh, you know Mark Cuban type stuff. And some guy had a yacht that literally had like paparazzi defense, hmm. so it like shot out all these uh, like light waves that would foil the cameras oh my gosh that's pretty funny pretty neat but that system alone was like a couple of million or something oh yeah well it's <laughs> worth it when you just want some privacy i mean i can tell you it gets really old having all the paparazzi around me when it's i tough. go i mean you know at school pickup and stuff <laughs> <laughs> they're always flashing the photography. it's it's so frustrating when you're somebody like me with my yacht you can't even <laughs> go to starbucks anymore Janie. it's hard to be you <laughs> thank goodness for drive throughs well you know we, we've pa- we've packaged you as a product and you know we sold you and look what happened you became <laughs> a tycoon so, a tycoon and our guest today knows a lot about packaging and product design. Wow, that was that was quite the segue, my friend. That Thank was you. awesome. Was that good? Well done. Thank you. Well done. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I'm really excited to have Terry Goldstein on our program today because, as you know, uh, she was one of the speakers with me at EFIT University in Medellin, Colombia. We had a really wonderful time, and she and I were representing North America there. (laughs) So we bonded. And um, when I saw her speak, I really was impressed by how much science and psychology and research goes into what we think of as the package design, the, the things that we see on grocery store shelves and shelves in Target and places like that. And her company has done it for a long time. So I, I thought I learned a ton, uh, during this interview. Oh, yeah. Some great information. It's a topic, you know, we always talk a lot about the brain science and things like that. It's a topic I'm fascinated with Mm -hmm. is how 
do companies that have these resources and have to get it so right because of the size of the investment to launch a product? How mm -hmm. do they go about it? And she sort of pulls back the curtain on some of that stuff. Yeah, I agree. Well, I think we should get right to it. What do you think? All right. Tell us a little bit about Terry. Terry Goldstein is the CEO and founder of the Goldstein Group. At the Goldstein Group, Terry and her veteran team of writers, structural engineers, graphic designers, and production specialists generate iconic package designs that truly make a difference to trade, consumers, and the clients that she serves. Under Terry's direction, the Goldstein Group has created brand imagery systems for Aquanet, Bear Aspirin, Qtex, Rolades, Allegra, Nasacort, Philips Colon Health, Carmex, Selsun Blue, Panasonic Women's Shavers, Balmex, Gentle Naturals, Little Remedies, Cortisone 10, Heinz Brands, Goldens, Pam, Hills Brothers, Icy Hot, Moon Pie, and One A Day, to name a few. I knew a few of those brands. <laughs> Very nice. Of course you did. <laughs> and they're also active globally with companies in Poland, Italy, and France. So we are thrilled to have Terry with us today. Welcome, Terry. We're so happy to have you here. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you. I'm excited as well. Thanks, Terry. Well, good. Well, I have been, of course, uh, singing your praises and talking about what fun we had together. And I also thought it was pretty fascinating when you told me about what the Goldstein Group does and what you do specifically. So I'm sure many of our listeners aren't really familiar with the process of designing packaging. So I was wondering if you could tell us kind of an overview of that and how did it, how did you get started in it? Certainly. Well, I got, I started out my career in my early twenties in the advertising world. And after about 10 years fell into an area called package design. I really was not aware of what package design was until I started. And I soon realized that it's designing household items that all of us consume daily, be it in the grocery store, drugstore, Target, Walmart, Costco. And these brands can include milk, vitamins, condiments, convenience foods, razors, aspirin. And I found it very interesting, the science of package design, really being able to craft and control people's minds at retail to the everyday household purchases that they bring home to live in the most intimate rooms of their house, be it kitchens, bathrooms, or bedrooms. I've never thought of it that way as like living in the house. And that's such a good point. I think it's really interesting. It's a great lens to view it through. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I was sort of first exposed to some of these ideas. Uh, I'm sure you know the book, of course, uh, Paco Enderhill's Why We Buy. Oh, yes. Wonderful. Yeah. And, and one, of, you know, one of the things I know he talks about is all the different ways we experience things. And I know that's a big topic you focus on is the way we all use our we use all of our senses when making selections in a store. So can you elaborate on that a bit? Certainly. When many of us shop because we're all consumers, we're really not aware of the particular supermarket seduction or drugstore delay or warehouse wonderment takes place at retail outlets. And the reason is they're very much designed to hijack our emotions while shopping. So we'll part with our heart in cash. And this happens in a very impulsive manner where at times we go in, we run in for our most frequently purchased item, perhaps a carton of milk or pick up a prescription. And we come home with, on average, at least $25 worth of a grocery bag. 
And the people that live with us say, why did you buy this? Or why did you get that? And you just say, I, I really don't know. And that's because consumers' emotions are hijacked while shopping. And that's because package design today is truly a science of understanding how the mind cognitively relates to a brand's core identifiers, which we call their colors, shapes, symbols, and words. And I know you talk about even how the order of those things, like how we interpret that as human beings, mm-hmm. um, has an effect on, on how we interact with these packages. Can you talk about that a little bit? Certainly. Well, there is what we call it the shelf site sequence. And this is a particular order in which the mind sees and relates to all visual information. Now, this can relate to us in our world from standpoint of what we look like and how we recall somebody to what car we drive, what color is their home. And it's no different than with a brand. So when we're shopping, what happens to us is we always see color first, and that can be the red and white milk, the black and copper batteries, Shape is second. I might be looking for the chocolate chip cookies in a blue box with a red triangle on it or the blue dander shampoo. And it starts with an S. We can't quite remember the name, but it's got squiggles because that's its shape. Symbols are third. Perhaps we're looking for the flavor cherry or I'm looking for the recycle symbol. And words are absolutely last while shopping. So it's important to take all those words on a brand and turn them into a visual vocabulary of colors, shapes, and symbols because that's how our mind sees brands at retail and recalls them to people when we ask them to go pick us up a particular brand. And so if you are uh, kind of looking at the shelves today, are there any specific shapes of packages or uh, the way something's been packaged today that really stand out to you? as great examples and are there specific shapes that you think maybe are kind of trendy you know like these things go in trends just like everything Mm. else so I'm curious what um what you're seeing and what you think are the best examples it's a great question I think that the method brand is a great example their brand was dishwashing soap and hand soap like anybody else's but they put it in a very cool iconic proprietary shape and they trademarked it and created a patent for it. And that So they shape, trademarked the shape? Sorry. Yes. They trademarked the shape? Oh, cool. Yes. Okay, I didn't know that. Well, you know, it's surprising to understand that today brands can trademark every square inch, be it their colors, their shapes, their symbols, and certainly we know they trademark their words. But a shape is so important for few reasons. One, it can inform a consumer how to use the brand. If it's a foam, you can tell. If it's a spray, you can tell. So it can tell you how to use it. But more importantly, it makes it really oneable and ownable. So think about method, that beautiful teardrop. All of a sudden, you're willing to pay $5 for something that used to cost $2 because it looks great in your bathroom, looks Mm -hmm. fantastic in your kitchen. And we perceive ourselves by the brands that we buy and by the brands that we put around our home to prove to our family and friends and ourselves that we have good taste. I love that. And uh, my wife is a method uh, <laughs> shopper, so I, I'm familiar with the shapes. They surround me. <laughs> mm. Well, that's great. What's interesting, you know, Jeannie and I would talk a lot about 
sort of sort of the golden age of neuroscience right now and brain science, mm -hmm. and we've just learned so much about the human mind and how it reacts to stimuli and experiences. And so much of what you're saying, you know, basically focuses in on that relationship. How have you seen this develop? What, what has it done to your job and your industry, you know, the last 20 or so years with, you know, the brain imaging and all, all the things we've learned about the mind and how, how's the science impacted your uh, job and what you do? Greatly so. When I started in this industry, believe it or not, brand packaging was an afterthought and it was something that the printer used to do. Now, in corporations, the actual chairwoman or chairman is actually involved in the brand packaging because today, corporate America, who I report to, be it Bayer or Merck, Heinz, Panasonic, they fully understand the science of brand design. They understand that we impulsively select brands in five seconds or less and that they want to make sure that their brand is purchased over their competitors. They must respect and understand the science of brand design and how we see brands, feel about brands, and talk about brands. Also today we do an enormous amount of research when we design a brand before it gets on the retail shelves. And this research is neuroscience, where we actually go to mall intercepts, call in 250 people, and hook them up to sensors so we can see in eye tracking what they're seeing first. We can put a sensor on their finger and get their pulse rate to see something that excites them. And this is becoming standard method in which to test brands today, their effectiveness at the emotional receptors of our brains. Unbelievable. It's, it's a lot different than when they used to call the store and say, hey, what's selling, shelf two or shelf one? <laughs> so, <laughs> so different. And it's so interesting because I think we talk a lot, especially in the, uh, in the marketing world, about kind of the unboxing experience of tech gadgets. And of course, Apple is the one that really made that a term where people get very excited about the package itself and bringing the product out of the package. And in your world, the package has to be kind of <laughs> consumable. Like you have to be able to look at this and know exactly what it is and not open the box. And so I'm curious, you know, what do you see as the differences there between the packaging of like a gadget where it's a it's an unboxing experience mm -hmm. before you get to the thing you actually bought and something like Method where you literally pick it up, put it in your shelf and or put it in your cart, bring it home and put it on your shelf. There's no question of what it is. It's all out there to see. So I'm just curious, you know, are there big differences between those types of packaging? Huge differences. And here in the U.S., we live in what's called the show me country. We want to know what's inside that box. But as branders, we can only communicate that to a particular point. For instance, when we're shopping as consumers, our five senses are searching for stimulation. But because we can't feel the chocolate syrup and see how thick it is or see the cookies in the bag, hear the crunch of potato chips, smell the cherry cough syrup or taste the toothpaste flavor we may want to try, what happens to us is we must rely on our intuitive emotional radar, which I refer to as our sixth sense. And because of that sixth sense, we strongly rely on those colors, shapes, and symbols to give us all that information we need that our five senses 
at the retail environment can no longer make a determination from. Now, having said that, it's also very important that what's inside that package delivers. Otherwise, we've initiated trial, but then the consumer will never purchase it again. So it's important to not overpromise at the same time. Hmm. And how do you know when you're when you're overpromising? Research. Mm-hmm. You see what consumers are going to purchase. You see what they see first, second, third, and fourth with the sequence of cognition, how the mind works. And then you do the emotional probing where you have them actually open the brand in question and tell us if it delivers or if it's over-promising or under-delivering. It's a two-prong approach. Very nice. And one thing I'd like to wrap up with because, you know, a lot of this – you know, hooking people up to brain monitors and these things is really only accessible by uh, large businesses to some degree. What would you advise for smaller organization? You know, the mom and pop restaurant on the corner, that type of thing. How well, restaurants aren't really good because we're talking about package design, but the mom and uh, you know, mom and pop retailer. Mm-hmm. What you know, what type of how would you recommend they approach this process? That's a great question. We have a division called Brand Ready, and it's just for those entrepreneurial individuals that have a great brand idea and can actually bring it to market. A good way to do that is a rollout go-to-market strategy where they're going to get one retailer, be it a Whole Foods or a Rite Aid, behind them. They gain a meeting, they get one, they share their dream, they share their fulfillment abilities, and they get a major retailer to trust them and get their brand on shelf. Now, of course, they're going to have to buy what we call shelf slotting. They're still going to need, believe it or not, one to $2 million to get their brand, even on one retailer's shelf. Wow. Once they, it's a very expensive proposition to bring a brand to retail. Mm-hmm. Now, there are brands that have gone grassroots, and that's a whole different path, but that takes an enormous amount of time. So it's not for those that aren't funded. And as far as package design, we're going to be the least expensive part of the expense. The most important part and the most expensive part is bringing that brand that we design to market. And are there any grassroots success stories that you know of? Because it seems like that's a, that's a huge amount of money. So are there any that you really know that have conquered that? Well, Method, again, is a great example. Mm-hmm. Method got Target to believe in them. And mm-hmm. the rest is history because they employ what was called a pull-through strategy. So consumers go and get Method, and then they want Method other places, but they can only get it at Target. So the consumer is literally pulling that brand through where the other retailers wanted it. And that's mm-hmm. why it's so important to start with one. Now, on the contrary, Whole Foods, some of the Wild Oats stores, they will take some brands at times for much less, and they'll run them just regionally, Trader Joe's, and a few markets, perhaps you'll break into 100 Whole Foods, and they'll see how it goes. But Mm -hmm. that's a little rare. But Mm -hmm. I have seen it happen, and I have seen it become successful. Takes longer. Mm-hmm, it is sure. a fascinating process, and uh, <laughs> wow, it's definitely uh, not for amateurs. No, yeah, stay stay out if you don't know what you're doing. But Terry, this has been great, and uh, if people are interested in this topic and want to learn more about you and what you do, where can they find you on the internet? 
They can find me at tggsmart.com. So we're called the Goldstein Group. And again, our URL is tggsmart.com. Excellent. Well, this was so fun to talk again and uh, hear more about what you do because it really is fascinating. And I think it's something that as everyday customers, we don't always think about to this level and to hear the science behind it and the effort. It's a, uh, it's really interesting stuff. So thank you so much for joining us today. And I hope to see you next time you're in Chicago. I hope to see you too. And thank you so much for having me as a guest. Thank you, I Terry. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, we hope you enjoyed episode 112 of Crack the Customer Code. This episode was brought to you by Audible. Don't forget to sign up for your free 30-day trial at audibletrial.com slash customer code. That is audibletrial.com slash customer code. I'm Jeannie Walters. Don't forget, you can see the show notes for this and all episodes. Subscribe and send us feedback at crackthecustomercode.com. And stay current on customer experience trends and insights by signing up at 360connects.com slash subscribe. And I'm Adam Tapork. You can connect with me and find out more about our customer service workshops and our customer service training at customersatsick.com. Until next time, take care of yourself. And take care of your customers. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.